Welcome to Top of the Game with Javier Sade, where we talk to amazing people that are shaping the world. These lightning round talks explore what makes remarkable leaders tick. Thinkers and doers pushing humankind forward and at the top of their games. Impactful insights, global perspectives, valuable wisdom you can use every day in your life and work. This is Top of the Game. Enjoy today's episode. Here's Javier. This is our 25th episode, and for this one, something pretty strange. The tables get turned on me. You said you were going to start. I literally asked you this question earlier, so we weren't sitting here staring at each other like idiots when you hit record. Who's going to kick it off? Oh, and I'm going to say, so you're going to hear somebody do the interview in a different way, and then you start. Okay. All right. Well, we can just keep going. All right. So uh, the moment everyone has been waiting for. (laughs) (laughs) the 25th episode of top of the game but more importantly the episode where we flip the script and turn our interviewer into the interviewee okay javier are you excited are you ready to go are you ready to i literally feel like i drank three shots because i cannot take the smile out of my face it's weird but yes i'm ready all right so we are going to do a kind of the interview, the same interview that Javier would typically do, but I get to ask the questions this time. And I think the first one, and probably possibly even the most obvious one is, why a podcast? With the time and resources you had available, why did you decide that this was a good way to spend that time (laughs) and focus those resources? Uh, That is a good question. So I'm a big consumer of podcasts, actually. I run a lot. I walk a lot. Actually, until very recently, I did not even have a car. So I ended up listening to a bunch of different podcasts. And I enjoy, just like I I enjoy podcasts, just like I enjoy music. But I did see some white space, even though there are millions and millions of podcasts. And probably the last thing the world needs is another podcast. But um, I did did come to the conclusion that there was some white space. So, yeah, how did you identify this white space or come up with this specific idea for this specific podcast? It's usually a matter of personal need. A lot of the podcasts I listen to are hour, two hours, three hours, and sometimes <laughs> how many of us have three hours yeah, to just do something, <laughs> let alone you know, watch a movie, whatever. Nobody, that's not how you consume things. So I ended up like stopping the show and have to, you know, listen to the show over time, but then you want to start another show. So all of a sudden you're managing like Five shows in process, not any different than you would do in a Netflix binge kind of thing or whatever. So I'm like, well, what if you were to talk to really, really great people, but very fast? Kind of how conversations really happen. I mean, you don't spend three hours. I mean, I don't spend three hours talking to anybody, not even my wife. Um, (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) So, um, so that was the that was the insight. Is that what if we were to have really high quality conversations with amazing people? but very fast. So yeah, to that point, there were really kind of two objectives that you were after. One was to talk to people who are at the top of their game across various industries, skill sets, you know, points in life and kind of distill some insights. And of course, the second piece was to keep it short. So focusing, I'm going to, I'm going to start with the short piece. I think a couple of uh, good speakers have nailed this when they've said, um, Mark Twain, I didn't have time to write a short letter, so a long letter will do. And then I think RBG also had another good one. Never use four words when three will do. How easy or difficult was it 
to keep these bits of content short? Harder than I thought. Um, usually starting with the fact that I myself, I'm pretty verbose. And that's something I've been working on. As, as the listeners know, I'm a contributor on CNBC and I've been getting better and better at speaking addiction and not using weird, you know, fillers. Um, but also the people, <laughs> oh. there I go, there I go. <laughs> but the people I talk to are also, I'm not going to say talkative for the sake of being talkative, but they have a lot to say. So you got to structure it in a way, and I've been, I think I've been getting better, but it's difficult, at trying to get to the heart of the matter very quickly. The other challenge you had, or the other thing you were seeking to do, was kind of distill insights from all these different people. Did you notice certain themes, right? Because we have everything from a rower to a TV personality to business people. I mean, we've got every kind of person you could imagine here. Were there similar threads you noticed across them in terms of leadership, in terms of learnings, in terms of life philosophy, any similarities? I purposely did not want to stay within a vertical or within a thematic, which is usually how programs are developed. They're developed around a very specific vertical, a very specific idea. I purposely wanted to cast a wide net, mostly because I'm a big believer in two things. One, um, if you read or have read, and most people have, uh, blink, um, this thing that, that uh, Malcolm Gladwell describes as, as, as a gut reaction, it's not really a gut reaction, it's 10,000 reps over a lifetime. Similarly, Charlie Munger, who recently passed, um, always talked about the circle of competence. So if you put those two things together, people that end up, like you said, I had the, world, the current world Olympic gold medalist in rowing and crewing from New Zealand, the person that has climbed Everest the most times of any human being in the world, chairwoman of Disney. I mean, literally just people that do amazing things. Um, there are a lot of commonalities among them, even though it doesn't seem like a Olympic athlete would have anything in common with somebody that goes to a board meeting in New York. Um, some things came up and here. I'm going to get to your question, being open and flexible to life. In other words, you may have the best plans and the most amazing uh, perspective as to how to reach something, but you have no idea what life is going to throw at you. So having this kind of resilience and flexibility is common. The second, not enjoying, but knowing that you're going to get punched in the face. Trying hard things and achieving hard things usually involve falling. So the people that really succeed and all of the people I've had in the podcast and the, you know, thousands and thousands, millions of people that are very successful around the world, um, what, what makes them successful is actually their willingness to fail. And that came through in all of the conversations. And I would say the third uh, sort of thematic that was really interesting is this issue of provenance. In other words, the care that their parents or their teachers or people in their early life, could be early career, let's say from age zero to before you start your real thing, you're doing work or athletic stuff or whatever, that there are these fleeting moments in which people touch your lives that you don't really notice is really important until you look back. It's kind of like connecting dots is really sort of impossible if you're trying to look forward when you're 21. Mm -hmm it's really easy to kind of connect the dots looking back. And that kind of, those kind of fleeting moments of influence have been important to everybody I've talked to. 
Javier, what has surprised you, I guess, throughout this? Maybe something that you just were not expecting or caught you off guard? I happen to have had a pretty amazing trajectory myself. And because of that trajectory, I get to meet amazing people. So in the show, and you mentioned the 25th, so there's been 24, uh, 24 guests. I think I know 80% of them personally. I learned something new from all of them. So I thought I knew the answers they were going to have, and they completely surprised me. In the show, one of the guests talked about like one of the biggest lessons they learned was, you know, working in a tortilla factory. Another person talked about having this kind of insane curiosity that finally, you know, when parents say no, 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 and finally the parents relent, that curiosity was satiated. So there were, there's just some things in the personal stories, and I think is what makes this show interesting in my view, but I'm biased, is that you hear these people kind of unfiltered and open to all kinds of things. I have to say there's a couple of people I've interviewed that are from Cuba or from parents that are from Cuba. The psychology of both of those people that don't even know each other, very successful in their own right. Uh, one used to run $300 billion for JP Morgan. The other one is probably in line to be the next anchor, main anchor at NBC News. They both kind of talked about this issue of kind of government taking everything from them. And hence, when they came here, either themselves or their parents, forming their sort of being so formative around how they think. In other words, there's huge belief in individualism and capitalism because they know how horrible it is to have a government take everything away after you've worked for it so hard. So anyway, that's a very long answer. You should have caught me, should have caught me <laughs> off. I'm sorry about that. But that's kind of a, my short, long answer. How do you select your guests, right? There's a pretty big variety of folks we're talking to here. How do you determine who is kind of, quote unquote, at the top of their game that's going to make it uh, into these interviews? Well, it's been mostly me. And what's interesting about this is like I don't, I don't have a shortage of things to do, but I decided to kind of do this on a whim. It was basically on a whim. One morning I was listening to a podcast that was taking three hours and I'm like, God damn it. This can be done in 15 minutes. And that was, literally it was one morning. I'm like, well, shit, let's just... I'm going to create a podcast as if I'm the customer. And it turns out that uh, a lot of people, I'm surprised as to how popular the thing has become. I do every, I've done everything. I compose the music. It's kind of funny to talk about it this way, but I literally compose the music, the, the words, book. I, I've, I have done everything myself. I think I'm reaching the point where I just can't keep doing that myself. What was the question? Yeah, back to my original question, <laughs> which was how do you choose the guests? I was kind of waiting if we were going to like circle back to that or if I, if you're going to be running for office and this is your, your practice for the debate stage. It's people that I personally believe are just amazing at what they do. Um, there are many, there are many people I don't know. So I would encourage listeners to send suggestions that there's people that I don't know. I mean, and, and if you listen to the podcast, there's people that are very young. Most people that are at the top of the game and achieved a lot usually are older because it takes a lifetime to do stuff. But I would encourage people to send stuff at info at <laughs> top of the game dash the pod.com with suggestions. Um, I also, when I talk to people and when I interview people, they go, hey, you should maybe think about having this person on. The other thing I'm very cognizant of um, being a... Uh, a minority in the United States and 
uh, have worked in so many different aspects. I'm still not lowering the bar about top of the game, but I wanted to make sure that it's as diverse a group as possible. So it's pretty well balanced. I think I should have more women, but oddly enough, women are much harder to get. They take a long time to answer. And then when they answer, it's like, this maybe, let me think about it, where guys are like, yeah, yeah, let's do it tomorrow. No problem. <laughs> it's kind of this interesting gender difference, but um, I want it. I'm, I'm using. I'm not saying I'm using that lens. I mean, it's not like I'm trying to create a, a perfect situation here in terms of my demographics. But I'm also very cognizant that you know, for every for every three venture capitalists that are um, white Anglo-Saxon males, there are three that are you know African Americans. You always ask, you know, there, there are kind of some similar questions that get asked of various people that you're speaking with in these podcasts. Um, one that I feel like comes a lot, up a lot is what have been some of the formative learnings, right, from, from earlier in their life, things that, that they that were critical to their foundation. I'm kind of curious what that answer is from you. Like, what were some of your formative moments, some of your big learning moments um, that kind of made you who you are today? From the very beginning, my parents have been kind of this um, amazing people that have let me sort of roam free. And every time I kind of, I basically, they let me do whatever I want, but every so often I would get off rails and they would like smack me on the head. As opposed to put very tight guardrails, they let me explore kinds of stuff and I'm very ADD and you know, people that know me know I like jump around squirrels and all that stuff. But I guess I'm blessed and cursed with a short attention span. So my parents. The second was a. I went to a Catholic school, and in my freshman year, one the priest that was teaching us English took a real uh, interest in me um, because he saw some uh, skill and potential in my English. Um, and the reason that I mean, to most people listening to this thing, I was like, "Why? What's so cool about English?" Well, I I grew up in Puerto Rico, and the priests in the school were really interested in and believed it was important for people to have success is people to master English. So he was really important to me, expanding my vocabulary, use of words. So kind of this weird thing that looking back um, was really important. And then in my first professional job ever um, at Abbott Labs, um, two weeks into the job, I used to supervise a manufacturing plant that made sterile reagents for drug tests, for hepatitis, HIV, anything that you can test with blood or urine. And as you can imagine, they're very, very controlled environments. And these alarms started going off. I'm two weeks in. I'm not even of legal age. I graduated college when I was 20. And there's all these alarms going on. There's half of the people are filling the bottles on the on a clean core inside this kind of room that looks like a, something for outer space. On the outside, they were labeling the bottles. So the, the, the alarm starts going off and the people that were inside the clean core, they all go to the glass and they're like looking at me like going, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I'm like, I looked at what we were feeling that day. We had hepatitis B and I was, you know, honestly scared. I had no idea what to do. So I did what I thought I should do, which was let's shut down this thing. So I shut down the plant, which was a very, very expensive decision. <laughs> um, it turned out that it was not existential. It was like a circuit had tripped. And the guy that was my supervisor, I was expecting to, you know, turn in my papers after two weeks of my professional job with my tie and my pager. Yes, I had a pager like on my belt because, you know, manufacturing and you get paid. 90s. Yeah, the 90s. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, he 
got me in his office and he said that was the most expensive training lesson I've ever had to dispense. So there's no way I'm going to fire you. And I learned there that failures, and that was a big failure. I don't know, you know, if, if it would happen today, I think I would have arrived at the same conclusion by judgment. If I don't know, I'm going to do the safest thing. And that actually is a pretty good segue back to what you touched on earlier, which is one of the learnings that you got from all these people at the top of their game is that they weren't afraid to fail. They weren't afraid to screw up. And I think most of us have experienced, you know, whether it's in our career and hobbies, you know, side interests, whatever, you do get better. You do learn the most when you screw up, right? When things are just flowing along swimmingly, everything goes great, but you learn when things go wrong. And I do wonder for you, what were some of your big screw ups <laughs> or some of your big learning moments that you kind of had to really fall down to get back up? Oh my God, I've had so, so, so many. <laughs> and they're all, I mean, either lapses in, either lapses in judgment or thinking I could do more than I could actually do or not knowing what the Charlie Munger calls a circle of competence. If you go over the edge, you're really going to burn stuff down. Um, probably the big, and I, I guess I screw up all the time. Everybody that tries anything worth trying screws up all the time. What you want to make sure is that they're not nuclear explosions. They're small screw ups. I did have a near nuclear explosion though. Um, um, I was co-founder of a network and of a, of a radio network. We had one of the first things that they were called spoken word short programs on iTunes now called podcasts. So it's kind of a full circle moment for me, you know, 20 some years later. Um, but that company, while it was, I guess, overall a pretty interesting endeavor that moved the conversation in society, we were trying to do was really interesting. It was a massive and sad <laughs> commercial failure. And what I learned about from that was that um, sometimes you just can't control forces that are bigger than, um, than the company. Um, yeah. Namely, if you think about, you know, if this was 2002, 2003, 2004, um, broadband wasn't quite what it is now, bandwidth wasn't what it is now, but where things were going is how you're consuming this podcast, which is not on the radio. Um, so there was some, some future things that we did not see. If I would have seen these short form programs were going to become like these podcasts, I would have stayed with it and, and pivoted. Um, but in the moment, you know, I had I did I had a second mortgage on my house. I had capitalized um, some of the company with the first venture capital job I had, and it was essentially going to go to zero. Um, and in the middle of it, when you're in the middle of a storm, you think you're going to, you know, oh my God, what's going to happen to my career and whatever. But with the advent of time, what it became was this huge learning moment. Like you say, the scar tissue is sometimes much, much better than a trophy. Calluses, you will never do it again. Calluses make you tougher. Calluses make you tougher. Yeah. Well, final and of course, most uh, deep and important question, who plays you in your movie about your life? <laughs> wow. That is, I always ask these kind of mundane questions thinking that there well, was Well, I know. An yeah. You already did the walk up song with Ford. So I'm not going to copy that. That is true. That is true. <laughs> I have to say, even though he doesn't look anything like me, it's Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. um, just because I have a, you know, I have a, a soft spot for him. 
But if it's somebody that's kind of Latino and kind of have some some swagger and things like that. Um, so you think you have swagger? I think people think <laughs> I have swagger um, because I put product in my hair sometimes. Okay, okay. Um, but I'll probably go Benicio del Toro. Okay. And why Benicio del Toro specifically? Because when I think about the kinds of characters he plays, I, I'm wondering if I uh, <laughs> need to have some concerns. <laughs> You mean uh, you mean the Sicario when he's he's killing everybody in his back and, uh, traffic? Yeah, he does a lot of drug movies. To the listeners, I don't do drugs. Um, I think he's just very nuanced, and and even though I feel sometimes that I'm like a two page novel, a very quick read, we're all nuanced. At the end of the day, he's just a very nuanced uh, character. So I think that's about it. Those are the questions. Did we keep it? Did we keep it bite size? What's our timing here? I think we went over the bite size, but the good news is that we have in overtime, which is the way <laughs> I get around my own imposed limits on the stuff. Um, and I have to say to the listeners, you you recognize the amazing interviewer's voice as the person that intros and outros the show every time it runs on your device. Well, she's my dearest and nearest person. She happens to be my lovely wife, Lori's son. And it was kind of weird to sit across from her here. I do this. I offered to do it for free. That's why That's why I'm the voice. <laughs> when your wife said it's for free, you know for sure it's going to cost you. So thank you for doing this with me, Lori. Lori sounds much better than I. And she is a trained, like, you know, DJ, you, you DJ in college, right? Yeah. I mean, that was a few minutes ago, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was spinning. She was spinning cool. Like Ari, when REM was cool, she was spinning REM records in, uh, in college. Deep cuts. The glory days. Well, thank you for your time, everyone. And um, take it out. Take it away, my, my host. I'll hand the reins back to you. <laughs> I appreciate everything uh, you guys are doing. Everybody out there trying to reach the top of the game. This has been a great, great experience for me, learning experience for me, and I hope you're enjoying the show. Any feedback, any comments, any suggestions as, as who I should have on the show, anything whatsoever, drink some water because you sound raspy, whatever. I want to hear it all. Thank you again for your support. This is episode 25 of Top of the Game. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. For information and links about today's guests, check out the show notes and visit topofthegame-thepod.com. Your host, Javier Sade, the show Top of the Game. Thanks for listening.